In my dining room, I have a table that is very special to me. My uncle and husband made this table especially for me. They cut down the oak tree. They used an antique sawmill that belonged to my great-grandfather and they cut this tree into boards. Then they planed it, the boards and they sanded them and they put them together and they built a beautiful table for me. I stained it and I put several coats of polyurethane on it to protect it. When people come into my house, they just see a table. A table that children have colored on over the years. A table that sometimes, um, or a lot of times, has a load of folded laundry on it. A table that if you know exactly where to look, you'll see the remains of a burn that I tried to sand out from me accidentally leaving a candle burning overnight. That was when the babies were little. Um, that table has been in three different houses with me and I'll never desire another table because of the memories associated with that particular table. It isn't the table itself that's so special. I mean, it is special the, the time that they put into making it for me. But it's the people that have sat around it with me. Friends and family, and friends of my children, and people I've met at church, neighbors, and relatives that drop by um, to meet me. And you know, the meals were good, but the company and conversation was even better. So much laughter and encouragement around that table. There's been some serious matters and some tears have been shed at that table. My mom ate her last meal at that table. It's just very precious to me. Your table may not be as unique as mine. It may have come from a furniture store or have been handed down to you. It may just be a countertop in the kitchen or it could be TV trays in your living room. But regardless, you have a table, a place that others gather or a place that you gather with others. My question to you today is who is at your table and why are they at your table? Judges 1-7 says, Then Adoni Bezek said, Seventy kings with their thumbs and big toes cut off have picked up scraps under my table. Now God has paid me back for what I did to them. They brought him to Jerusalem and he died there. Now this man, and I don't know if I'm saying his name right or not, but I'm going to call him Adoni Bezek. He had been a powerful king. And those 70 kings that he had conquered, he saved them alive. And what he did was he cut off their big toes and their thumbs. And that made them helpless. Can you, I don't know if you can imagine how helpless you would be without your big toes to give you balance, to be able to stand and without your thumbs to help you grab things. But he further humiliated them by having them eat scraps underneath his table. Adoni Bezek, he kept these seven kings who had servants at one time. He kept them chained underneath his table to, bet, to, to fight over scraps. He kept these people at his table to remind him of how powerful he was. He was not concerned in the least about these people. They were only there for his benefit. 
Now think about your table, or better yet, maybe let's call it your circle. At home, at work, at church, or wherever you may be, who are the people that are around you, and why are they there? Do you keep company with certain individuals just to make you feel better about yourself? Does seeing humiliating circumstances does seeing their humiliating circumstance boost your self-confidence about yourself and how much better you are than them? Beware, because if that's the case, Adoni Bezek wound up in the same situation as those beneath his table. The law of harvest does not discriminate, friends. You will indeed reap what you sow. On the flip side, however, are you that someone that's under someone else's table? Are you being used to make them feel more powerful? Are scraps the only benefit that you get from your so-called friendship? I have got great news for you. As far as I know, you still have your toes, you still have your thumbs, and you are not chained to their table. You can and should get up and leave from that situation. There is no reason for you to to be a part of that. Luke 22, verse 21, Jesus says, But behold, the hand of the one betraying me is with mine on the table. Here's another table, and Jesus and the disciples are sitting around it. And Jesus says that there's, the, there's a hand of someone betraying with me on the table with me. If Jesus had people at his table betray him, you will too. Jesus was kind to Judas. He washed his feet and he fed him. But rather than have Judas influence and divide the disciples with his secret sin and plans, Jesus told him to leave the table. He said, go and do what you have to do. Jesus did not keep someone at the table that did not earnestly want to be there. Now, he ate at tables with sinners and publicans of every sort because they wanted to be with Jesus. Judas was against him, had betrayed him, and there was no longer a seat at the table for him. Understand the difference and I urge you to do likewise. Show kindness and compassion to those around your table, but when they are not on your side, they should not have a seat at your table. David speaks of this very thing. He experienced it himself with King Saul. David had once been a welcome guest at the table of King Saul, but then Saul hated him for the anointing and the favor of God on his life. Listen, you're going to be refused from tables because of jealousy. You're going to be refused from tables because not of something that you've done wrong, but because of feelings that other people have. Saul hated David for the anointing and the favor of God on his life, and he became his moral enemy. But just because David wasn't at Saul's table anymore, did not mean that he no longer had a table. David writes about this in Psalms 23 verse 5. It says, You prepare a table before me 
in the presence of my enemies. God gave David his own table, and he made him to sit and dine in front of those who hated him. In other words, God made David's enemies, he made their mouths water while seeing David enjoy the goodness of God. Listen, just because you lose friends, or maybe you've been evicted from a table, does not mean that God does not have something better for you. That verse goes on to say, David says, you anoint my head with oil. In other words, you've given me special treatment. You've called attention to me. You've made me special. And then he says, my cup runneth over. There's more than enough at this table. So much goodness that it cannot be contained. And David remembered the extravagant gift of this table. And in turn, he returned to others what God had done for him. 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 11 says, So Mephibosheth ate at David's table as one of the king's sons. Maybe you remember this story. Mephibosheth was King Saul's grandson. David could have been hostile towards him, but because of the covenant between Jonathan and David, David honored Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, and he fed him at his table for the rest of his life. Now, Mephibosheth, he was crippled. He had all sorts of things against him. And and ordinarily, someone in that sort of physical state would not be allowed to be at the king's table. But David remembered the goodness of God, and he remembered the covenant he had made with Jonathan, and he honored Mephibosheth. And he, the Bible says that he ate at David's table as one of the king's sons. There are many, many examples in the Bible of how we should use our table and who should be at our table and why they should be there. Psalms 128.3 says, Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. If you have children, your children belong at your table. They are young and tender, and they need special care and treatment. They need time with you daily for nourishment and protection from the elements. They don't only need physical nourishment from your table. They need spiritual nourishment and emotional nourishment. Your table should be a safe place for them. And they should grow so strong from being raised at that table that when they are transplanted into the world as an olive tree, no longer an olive shoot, they will take deep roots and bear much fruit. Genesis 47, 12, it says, And Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all of his father's family with food for their dependents. Think of the impact that Joseph's table had on his family. Coming into Egypt, there were 70 people. Leaving Egypt in the Exodus, scholars estimate that there were about 2.4 million people. From 70 to 2.4 million. And these were all family members that had benefited from Joseph's table. Nehemiah, he was another one. In Nehemiah 5.17 through 18, It tells us that, moreover, this is Nehemiah speaking, there were at my table 
150 Jews and officials. Nehemiah provided for the officials and the Jewish people who were helping him rebuild the wall. They were in need themselves. They were greatly in debt. And so he, out of his own pocket, provided for their needs. He would sacrifice um, his own livestock and feed these people. Always, always be open like David, Joseph, and Nehemiah to open your table, open your circle to those who could benefit from it. Do not withhold good. Understand that it is God who has blessed you. And He's blessed you so that you can bless others. Now this can be with a literal invitation for someone to come and sit at your table and share a meal. Or it could be being available to talk to someone who doesn't have anyone to talk to. It could be approaching a lonely or withdrawn person and including them in your circle, letting them have a seat at your table. The thing is, we've all been invited to the table of grace. Everyone is welcome. And let us be very careful to welcome other people. And when we're welcoming other people, let us be very careful of how we choose to seat ourselves at that table. Luke 14, 7, it says, He, that being Jesus, noticed how they had been picking out the places of honor at the table. Many years ago, as a little girl, my grandma would have me set the table. That was one of my favorite things to do. And there were certain plates and spoons and I knew exactly how she wanted it um, and I don't know about y'all but we had a pan of biscuits on the table at every meal and I had to have the cane syrup out beside it it was just that's the way I knew exactly how grandma wanted the table set now I don't know if this is just a southern farm life kind of thing or if it's common elsewhere but I knew where every person was to sit at that table my grandpa sat at the head of the table my grandma sat to his right. The eldest son was on his left hand. And then the youngest son, which was my dad, sat next to his older brother. Then my mom sat next to him. And as long as there wasn't any company, my brother sat by my mom and I sat by my grandma. If there was company, then my brother and I ate in the kitchen to show respect to the company. We were not allowed to interrupt their conversation. Friends, may we always, always remember that Jesus is the head of the table. And he said that the servant is not greater than the master. Jesus washed feet. He ate with sinners and he was kind to those who would betray him. Let us make sure that we set our tables like he did. Not vying for, for position but just being grateful for a full table with Jesus at the head. I knew that even if I didn't get to sit in the dining room with the grown-ups, that there was going, I was going to get the same food that they had in there, and that later I was going to get special time to hear about all the things that they had talked about. We never, ever, ever should, should jockey for position at tables and in, in our circles. Make sure that Jesus is at the head of your table and evaluate who is there with you and why.
Also consider maybe perhaps whose table you've been under and why. And then make adjustments accordingly. God bless you, friends.